Father, we do just thank you so much for your grace and your mercy towards us that in Christ the price has been paid and that we have forgiveness of sins. And because the price is paid, you can declare that we in Christ are righteous as we have his righteousness. We praise you for that. And Father, I thank you that we have not only been justified and have peace with you, but that we stand in this grace that you have brought forth. We have entered into a relationship that is characterized by your grace, which abounds and abounds. And Lord, I thank you that in the context of this wonderful reality, we can grow in the grace and knowledge of your Son. And I pray we would do so this morning as we look into your word, that you would use it to change us, to change our minds, to help us see things rightly, to see you rightly, and to focus on your son, Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. We commit it to you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the reality is, if you watch the news these days, they've got something else to talk about all the time, and now it's the coronavirus, as every minute of the day is consumed with the news of everything going on with that. And as I mentioned earlier, we as believers, we have no need to fear anything. And in fact, we're commanded not to fear. We're commanded to fear not and because we know that the Lord Jesus is in control. And we know that he is a gracious, good God. If he gave his own son for us, how will he not give us all things? He's going to protect us. He's going to take care of us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And yet there are those difficulties that come along, diseases, things like that, and, you know, whatever it might be, sickness. There are trials that come along, and we need to uh, struggle at times, or we do struggle at times, to keep our eyes on the Lord rather than on these things. Now, for believers, not only do we have the struggles of the world, everyone seems to be struggling with this possibility of what could happen, but uh, we have the struggles that come for following Jesus Christ. You see, when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are delivered from darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And we immediately have an enemy, and that enemy is Satan. He is the adversary. And within that, he uses people who follow their own wills to do his will. And so we will experience difficulties in this life. And within this life, for the believer, those difficulties seem to go for a long time. You know, initially when we came to faith, we were thankful that we understood those things came with coming to Christ. But over time, sometimes those difficulties can weigh upon us as you follow Christ. And so with that in mind, we need to realize that we are in a spiritual struggle. We are in a fight, a temporal fight on our way to eternal glory. Now within that, I think we're going to need to realize, and I think you probably do, that this fight is actually a battle to trust Jesus or not. That's really the battle. Do we trust Jesus or are we leaning on our own understanding, thinking about things apart from the way that he has revealed them in his word? Do we believe what he has said and thus act upon what he has said? You see, we are in a race right now. We are in a race unto glory. But this race, as with any race, can be uh, forfeited. It can be given up, whatever it might be. I'm not talking about losing salvation. I'm talking about the race of faith. We can uh, falter in that race. We can uh, not uh, run as we should. Yet the Lord wants us to run this race of life victoriously. 
He wants us to, to finish well. And so with that in mind, I felt we would take a break from our series in First Thessalonians and take a look at a passage that I think, well, I know I needed to be reminded of, but I hope you recognize you need to be reminded too, where we're going to see just that, how we can run the race, the Christian life, victoriously. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. Now, the context of the book of Hebrews, the unknown author, inspired by the Spirit, is writing sometime after the resurrection of Christ and and his ascension and before the the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Now, we know this letter was written exclusively to Hebrew believers who were suffering for their faith. And within that, there were a group of those who had a said faith but had not turned to Jesus Christ yet. And the trials and troubles for following Jesus, externally at least, were tempting them to turn back to Judaism. That which, if they did, they would have no way to come back to the true way of salvation through Jesus Christ, which they hadn't trusted in yet. And so there are many warnings in this book to listen to the Lord Jesus, to listen to him. But within that, there's the encouragement for true believers in this book, encouragement for true believers to uh, endure. Now within this, we see that these believers had become immature. They had become dull of hearing. Their eyes had been pulled off Jesus. They were focused on their difficulties. And they were in need of encouragement. They were in need, chapter 10, verse 36, of endurance. And so to encourage these believers to hold fast their confession of faith in Jesus uh, and to exhort those of said faith not to turn away from the only source of salvation, Jesus Christ, uh, we see that the author puts forth and shares Jesus Christ, that this book is about Jesus. It's about Jesus who is superior uh, to his, he and his new covenant are superior to that old covenant, which is a type and shadow of what would come. And throughout the book, the author lays the case, first of all, that Jesus is superior to the angels, the messengers of the old covenant. He is superior to Moses, the apostle of the old covenant, and that he is also a superior high priest who mediates a superior covenant based on his superior once-for-all sacrifice, which brought eternal redemption and the forgiveness of sins and thus access to God. And so after sharing that tremendous reality coming up to chapter 10, we see that our response, what our response should be to so great a salvation. We are to be continually drawing near in faith hoping continually in him and loving by loving and serving his body. Now, if that's not happening, then I'm telling you right now, you've got some problems in your life because the reality is when our eyes get off of Jesus on our troubles, we have problems in our lives. And so we need to get refocused. We need to see where we have erred. We need to confess when we are off and get right and focus on Jesus. And God is so gracious because he wants us to endure. He wants us to be victorious to the end. Now, after a serious warning in chapter 10, which hinged on the negative command to not forsake your assembling together, uh, lest these believers, the true ones within the midst of that group, feel that they had apostatized, by way of encouragement, they are encouraged to endure. And then they are shown the truth of the reality of those who actually endured by faith. Chapter 11, the testimony of God of those saints who endured by faith and made it to the end. And then we come into our chapter 
in chapter 12 in which we're going to see how we can fight this fight of faith, run this race of faith victoriously. Chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. This passage is about changing your focus. It's about uh, getting your mind in the right place. It's about getting your thinking in the right place. And again, we have... uh, We need to recognize the the, the flow of thought here. In chapter 10, the author makes it clear that they were definitely in need of encouragement. Look back in chapter 10. I want to start in verse 32. He has just made it clear that those who have forsaken assembly as a consistent basis, uh, that something's wrong. There no longer remains a sacrifice of sins. You thought you were saved, but something's wrong in your life. Maybe you weren't saved. But he wants to encourage those who are saved. And he says, but, verse 32, remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulation, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. They suffered when they came to faith, by the way. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners. Those were not prisoners for crimes. Those were prisoners for Jesus, by the way. Just remember that when you think of prison ministries. Nothing wrong with sharing the gospel with those who need it desperately, but this here was specifically showing sympathy to believing prisoners for Jesus Christ. And accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't weary and give up. He's going to say that in the midst of the difficulties you're experiencing. Don't do that. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. So then, these Hebrews had suffered greatly for following Jesus, and time had passed. They initially had responded rightly, but time had passed, just like for you and I. When the the long-term reality of the difficulties for following Christ sets in, we can sometimes become discouraged. And so how are we to respond? How can we run this race victoriously? Well, I think we're going to see today that God places us in the race he wants us to run. Some of us are not even on the right race, by the way, the wrong racetrack. And he says he places us there. We'll see that. And we need to be encouraged by those in whom God testifies came through victoriously. And then we're exhorted to run in a way in which we do not and are not hindered by hindrances and sin and then do so with endurance fixing our eyes on jesus christ so then how can we live the christian life victoriously notice first of all we need to be in the right race we need to be in the right race some of you may be running thinking you're following jesus but you're yes you're a believer but you're not running the race he set before you you're running a race you set before you 
And we need to see that it's the one that he does. Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now in that verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2, we need to recognize that everything hinges on one phrase, let us run. That's the main phrase. Everything stands with that. Laying aside every encumbrance, let us run with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance fixing our eyes on Jesus. Run doing these things. Now, who is the us here? Obviously, it's the writer, but he includes those who I believe very clearly have faith in Jesus Christ. They are those who have had their sins forgiven by the means of the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who now can draw near with confidence and enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. It speaks of the redeemed. That is who the us is here. So we believers are to run, but what is it that we are to run Middle of verse 1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The author uses the metaphor of a race, of an athletic contest. And he says this race is set upon before us. The term race is a familiar word. Agona speaks of something that's agonizing. And indeed, an athletic contest of those days would be agonizing. It would take all of your energy and focus to win that race. And so he uses that. The word also includes the idea of, of exertion and self-denial in the face of opposition, conflict, and struggle. That certainly is reality for like the race metaphor. You'd see that. So then we see here we are to run the race that is set before us. The word is also used uh, later on and translated in the context of the good fight of faith, the good agona, the good race or fight. This race is a battle. It's not simply running. There's a battle in the race. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good agona of faith. Or the good fight of faith. It's about faith, by the way. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and made, you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul, at the end of his life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. Boy, I want to, by his grace, to be able to say that at the end of my life. I hope you do too. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. That's not bragging. That's because Christ was faithful. Paul uh, functioned by the grace of God. And so then we have this race. It's the good fight of faith. It's the good fight of faith. It's a race. It's a struggle. It's a fight. We are in a furious spiritual struggle and the struggle centers around trusting in jesus christ or not and not just simple a blind trust but a trust based on what he has said a trust based on what he has said believing him thus obeying him and doing his will because if you believe him, you'll do what he says. If you don't, you may understand, you may believe like the demons. If you don't, you're not going to. It's a good fight. It's a good fight of faith to trust Jesus in the midst of opposition. And indeed, Satan and his minions oppose us, and the world is going to oppose, as the world's going the opposite direction. 
And we are constantly tempted with our unredeemed flesh. Remember, brothers and sisters, we are in a race. And it is a temporal struggle. It is a difficult yet good fight of faith. Not a bad fight. It's a good fight. It's a good fight of faith. It's a battle to trust the Lord Jesus. Don't buy into the packaged health and wealth gospels these days. Come experience spiritual ease. Relax and enjoy the show. Don't buy into that. It is a battle to trust Jesus. Before, you didn't trust him at all. You just lived your own will. There's no battle. There's only difficulties because of consequences and other sinners, right? But now you trust Jesus. There's this added reality of the difficulty that comes for trusting Jesus Christ. We are in a temporal fight. We are awaiting the glories to follow. So we are in a good race, but it's difficult, and we are in need of endurance. We are. We are in need of endurance. So what does God want us to know about this race? Back in our passage, notice it says the race that is set before us. Set before us. The term set before means that which is exposed to view or on public display. It was used also to speak of dead bodies exposed for viewing at that time. It speaks of being publicly displayed. The race is before us. It is publicly known what we are to run in. And how is it publicly known? It's revealed in the Word of God. You see, the reality is it's not a mystery. God, through His Word, has publicly displayed the course that we should be on until we go to glory. It is not a mystery. You see, it started when we, by faith, were justified, when we were forgiven by the grace of God, trusting in Jesus Christ. And then the course is what we're on right now, where God is making us like Jesus Christ. He is sanctifying us, and he is using us for his glory in the midst of a dark and evil world. And then the finish is eternal glory. Now, sadly, this is where many of us get sidetracked. We may have started the race, trusted in Christ Jesus. We've been justified by faith, but we have lost our way because we are not understanding from the Word of God what the way is. We may not even be in the race or maybe not even running in the right race. We have planned a life that is separate. Our desires, our hopes, our dreams are separate from what God has revealed our desires, our hopes, and dreams are. And we are running the wrong race. And it isn't fun and it's all bad. So we need to be in the right race. We need to be in the right race. And if you trusted in Jesus Christ, you will understand that that is revealed in the Word of God. Sadly, due to biblical ignorance or willingly being deceived through your own desires or word forgetfulness, we do not remember what we have been called unto in Jesus Christ. We may now have no clue what God has set forth in his word. We're not even running, maybe through satanic deception or fake teachers. We're running the wrong race. But we are to race, run the race that is set before us. And folks, that race has been set before us in the Word of God. You see, for he whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, Romans 8.29. Colossians 1.21, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, that was you and me, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. 
The Lord said, you should be holy for I am holy. The race consists of being made like Jesus Christ, having sin rooted out of our lives and being made more and more like Jesus. Tremendous reality. What did the Apostle Paul say to the Philippians? Turn to Philippians chapter 3. You see, we have to see our life in light of what God's doing in it and what his goal is for us. Otherwise, we're going to get blindsided by everything that comes our way. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it, Paul says, or have already become perfect. Hey, I'm not there yet, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ. This is why I press on. He says, brethren, I do not regard myself of laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, this is good advice, by the way, is forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Then again, a metaphor of racing, right? I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. We've been called up and out of here to glory. And so his efforts are in the sphere in which he is going, right? You think about it. If someone has a plan to be a certain career, they spend their time focusing on how to get to that career, doing things towards that ultimate goal. And our ultimate goal is to be with Christ in glory forever, called out as well. So he is changing us right now, and we should be focused on those things in the context of what he's revealed in his word. We're in a race, and that race began when we were saved. And now through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, we are being conformed to the image of his Son. And by faith, when we believe what he has said, trusting him, we obey him, he changes us and makes us more like him. And we are then able to endure through the difficulties. So it's by his word we grow in respect to salvation as we respond to it. Later on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, we see that God's will for us is our sanctification. To be set apart. He had a specific there, but his will is for to be set apart. Sanctified. And the means in which he does that is by revealing his truth, his ways, his will in his word to change our ways and our will. We see this in the truth of the word. We see it in Philippians chapter 3 that we are on our way to glory. We're on our way to glory. Later on in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I'll read it for you, verse 20. For our citizenship is in here. No, in heaven. That's where our citizenship, for which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of this humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. By the exertion of power, he has to even subject all things to himself. We are on our way to glory, but on that way, we are to be about his will and his ways and that is his plan for us that's the race that is set before us and we forget that we need to see our troubles and trials through that are my troubles we'll see it later on in hebrews if we do it next week we'll see that much of our troubles are because we're needing to be spanked so that we would be more and more like jesus because he loves us like a like a godly parent 
Our troubles are sin. Our troubles are wrong thinking. And God is graciously desiring that we don't have that type of trouble, that it is weeded out of us. And within that, it may bring trouble for being righteous, but that he will use for his glory in our lives. So then the race is set before us. You say, well, what is his will? Well, I've already shared that. It's his it's sanctification. It's Christ's likeness. Turn to Second Thessalonians chapter three, chapter two. I mean, Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen. Second Thessalonians two thirteen. But we should always give thanks to God for you, beloved brethren, by the Lord. Because God has chosen you from the beginning for, notice this, salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Salvation through sanctification by the Spirit through faith in the truth. That's the process. God has chosen us for that path. That's the path we're on. And he says, and it was for this, he called you through the gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the way we're headed. It's only sin in our hearts and minds that causes us to be distorted and not see the glory of what God has planned for us in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You, therefore, by the mercies of God, he says, I urge you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living holy sacrifice. This is the first application of the gospel in the book of Romans acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then verse 2, Romans 12. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, notice this, that you may prove or demonstrate what the will of God is. When our minds are changed through the word of God, by the spirit of God, our wills are changed then we demonstrate in our actions as we obey the Lord, his will for us. And he says it is that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So the race is set before you. It is his will manifest from his word. That's the race. And it's why we're on the way to glory. And the race is ultimately about faith in Jesus Christ. And it's difficult. When you really want to trust him, then the difficulties come. You see, some people want to follow Jesus their way, but yet we are not God. We do not choose the specifics of the race. It is set before us, or literally continually being set before us. The race in which we're to run is continually being exposed for us over and over and over again if you're willing to look. So then, the Christian life is the good fight of faith to trust the Lord God and to obey his word over all the voices of the flesh satan our desires this passing world and the race is lined with temptation suffering continual attacks from the most powerful foe yet there is a peace and a joy in the midst if we are actually on the course fixing our eyes as we will see on jesus so it's temporal the race is set before you and it is time to run are you running are you in the race or is your life about your problems or is it about trusting Jesus Christ, obeying him regardless of what is going on around you, regardless of the difficulties in your life? Is it about trusting Jesus personally in every response? Is it about trusting Jesus personally in every situation, obeying him, desiring to do so, when failing, confessing and being forgiven? 
That's the race of faith. That's the race of faith. So then, notice back in our passage, he says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He begins our passage with the word, therefore. Now, in the Greek language, there are many different ways to say, therefore. Uh, And within this, this happens to be three of them put together which means it's emphatic. Therefore, he says, since we have this, 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 run the race with endurance that's set before you. So we need to understand what this therefore is there for. And so you might remember, Will read part of it uh, earlier, that in chapter 11, God is testifying of, he is witnessing of the fact of those who trusted him and endured to the end. That's what chapter 11 is about. It is not their personal testifying. It is God testifying of them that they made it to the end. And so we have in the beginning of our passage, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Now, this isn't like some people have taught this great cloud, uh, a bunch of saints in heaven cheering us on right now. They're in this Colosseum, this heavenly Colosseum going, go, Greg. No, they're not doing that right now. That's not what this is saying. It is those who have been testified of. They are those who who are witnesses to, by God's testimony, that the race can be run to the end through, through faith and endured to the end. Remember in chapter 11, it's about faith, right? Quick read reveals it's the Old Testament that those, these saints that, he, that are revealed here, that their lives were characterized by faith and that they endured. We see faith from start to finish. Abel offered an acceptable sacrifice by faith. That was the start. Enoch walked with God, pleasing him by faith, and was taken without dying. That's the end. And then there are more examples. Noah, by reverent faith, obeyed God and built an ark after being warned. He listened to God's word and he did it. Are you like Noah in that sense, listening to what he says and acting on it? No matter what the world says, no matter what's going on around you, I don't think there was much support for Noah in his ark building, by the way. Abraham, by faith, obeyed God, living as a foreigner in the land of promise, ultimately looking forward to his heavenly home. He, by faith, obeyed God by offering up Isaac, verses 8 to 10, 7 to 19 in chapter 11. What about Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, and the many unnamed? They all believed God. They believed what he said, and that was exhibited in their actions, by the way. And they endured to the end. They are normal people, even messed up, yet they believed God and his word, and thus obeyed and endured. And their testimonies are summarized in chapter 11, but they are exposed throughout the scriptures. They endured and fought the good fight to the end. And God testifies of them. They ran the race that was set before them, and they made it. And they made it. They finished. They won. They fought the good fight to the end. What would be said about you by God? Would he testify of you the same as those as we read in Hebrews 11? 
So these are witnesses in the sense that their lives and deaths bear testimony that the race can be run successfully in the midst of great difficulty. They believed, they trusted, they obeyed, and they endured to the end. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, cloud means a, 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 a large amount in unity in a sense, great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. The term surrounding means encircling, encompassing us. They're everywhere. They're all throughout the scriptures. They're everywhere. Look and see those who endured by faith. Get your heart out of your circumstances and your troubles and whatever it might be and focus on the truth of what God reveals concerning those who endured to the end. Since we have a so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, sometimes we don't see it that way because all we see is ourselves. And the reality is we need to be looking at the examples that God testifies of who failed at points but yet did trust the Lord and obeyed. And thus by faith they endured. They endured. So run the race recalling the testimony of previous victors. You've got to be in the Word to do that. With the right heart, not just a mechanical on read about this, a desire to know the truth that God declares in His Word. Now notice we need to run with faith. We need to run with faith. Back in verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of testifiers, or the ones God testifies to surrounding us, they're everywhere in Scripture. Therefore, he connects it with chapter 11. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And then the main passage, let us run with endurance the race, right? So notice he said this word, also. Let us also. Very interesting because that also implies the fact that all of those Old Testament saints who endured by faith laid aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles. It comes upon us, brothers and sisters, you've got to lay it aside. You've got to lay it aside as we will see. Every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Well, what are these encumbrances, first of all, that we are to lay aside? The term lay aside speaks of taking off a garment like of a clothes, getting rid of, giving it away over there, right? Taking it off, getting rid of it, getting rid of it. So also, like they did, laying aside every encumbrance, run. That's what the, the focus is. That's what the focus is. So what is it we are to simply lay aside or get rid of? First of all, he says every encumbrance. The term encumbrance simply means weight. And again, within the running metaphor, if you were a runner and you were weighed down by something, you are not going to run well in the race. You're not going to run well. Now, weights and encumbrances may not necessarily be outright sin. It could be, but maybe not necessarily. They are simply things, as we will see, that hinder our faith in Jesus. Things that hinder our faith. They may be actually good things. But if they get in the way of us being in his word and trusting in him, they are an encumbrance. They're an encumbrance. Notice he doesn't explain what they are because there are all kinds of different possibilities for each and every one of us. It is whatever weighs you down in this good fight of faith, whatever causes you to have your eyes pulled off of Jesus, maybe good things, whatever it might be, every encumbrance, every encumbrance. Remember, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And so those things that prevent us. So what things are encumbering you from trusting Jesus? 
Maybe they're good things. What things are in the way? You need to take it off and lay it aside. Certainly could be sin. We know that, obviously. But uh, we need to recognize what things are encumbering me from being in the Word of God. What things encumber me from getting to church? What things encumber me from being in a Bible study? What things encumber me from being in the Word of God? What things encumber my heart and mind from focusing and trusting in Jesus Christ? And again, they may be good things, they may be bad things. So what we need to do is go to the Lord. And we need to not recognize And I think you know right away. I don't even think we, we need to go to the Lord, but I think you know those things that are in the way, whatever they might be. Confess them if they're sin, attitudes, actions, whatever it is in the way from trusting Jesus, you're worried, whatever it might be, confess it. Go to the Lord with prayer and supplication. You've got difficulty in your life, pulling your eyes off Christ, confess it, turn away from it. There may be some good things that would be good, but you have over-focused on them and they are in the way of trusting in Jesus Christ. Lay aside everything. What good things or bad things are hindering your walk, your faith in Christ? Take them off like a dirty garment and lay them aside. Every single one. You need to do an inventory. What things are bogging me down in trusting Jesus? Plain and simple. Being in his word and truly believing what he has said. Truly believing what he has said. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, they did it. They did it. They did it. They laid aside every encumbrance. Let us also do the same thing. Let's do the same thing, brothers and sisters. Let us also do that. Lay it aside. You know what's in the way. Lay it aside. Lay it aside. And notice he says also, and the sin which so easily entangles us. The, the verb lay aside, laying aside of the participle also implies to this. Lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. Now it's interesting because we certainly need to lay aside sin. Sin in general, not good, right? Sin and the race doesn't go together, right? That would certainly encumber me. So that includes everything in that area, right? But here, it's interesting because he says it in a way in the Greek, lay aside the sin. It's a specific thing. Specific thing that encumbers us or easily entangles us. And what is that sin that is being spoken of here? Well, throughout the book of Hebrews, the sin that they've been warned about consistently is persistent unbelief. Hebrews 2, 1, 3, 12, 4, 1. The sin of unbelief in his God and his word. Hebrews 11. We see very clearly in Hebrews 11 that faith comes from hearing. And it's impossible to please him apart from faith. It's impossible. You see, if we don't believe, we're, we're, we are in trouble. If we have unbelief in an area of our lives, it is going to completely entangle us in trusting Jesus. Obviously, that makes sense, right? If you've got unbelief, you're not trusting him, right? If you've got an area of unbelief, you're not going to be able to trust him, okay? So he says, lay aside the sin that so easily entangles us. One pastor says, the primary block to gaining the prize is the sin that so easily entangles us. Since the writer does not specify what it is, it may be taken for granted that the sin is continually that which is warned about in Hebrews, persistent unbelief. Not believing what God says. Not believing it. Now, it's not simply believing what God says concerning 
what we like or want to do, it's also concerning the consequences for things too. You know, sometimes we don't take what God says very seriously when he says you're going to reap what you sow. We don't take what God says seriously about uh, his word. We don't take it seriously at times. And so here, when we doubt God and thus his word, or his word and thus God, then we are entangled. We cannot run that race. We're entangled. And this term entangled speaks of something that is cleverly placed around something. It means to exert tight control, to control tightly. The sin that so easily entangles us, that exerts tight control on us, is so easily is unbelief. When we do not believe what God has said concerning. We don't believe. He says, don't be worried. We, we worry. We don't believe the consequences of sin. We, we, don't, we don't believe that if we actually trust in Him, we pray and with supplication and, and thanksgiving, He will protect our hearts and minds. If I don't believe that, that's unbelief. It's entangling me. And I can take so many different passages and apply that. When I don't believe that I should be truly, essence, loving my wife or loving your husband, whatever it might be, when I don't effectively apply that in my heart, I think I can just get away with not doing that, I'm entangled. The reality is we need to obey the Lord and believe his word. And when I don't believe his word, I'm not going to obey him, by the way. Now, I may believe it, but I don't believe it, right? In a sense. You know what I mean, right? So then, the sin that so easily or cleverly places itself around us. Set it aside. Confess it, because we will all fail. We will all fail. We're not there yet. But when you find yourself not, in essence, believing what God has said, confess. He is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is so gracious. So we are to, first of all, like they did, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. So how are we to run this race that the Lord puts before us victoriously? We've got to be in the right race. We need to recall the testimony of previous victors. They believed, they obeyed, they endured. We need to run with faith, believing what God has said, setting aside obstacles to trusting in Jesus, confessing the sin of unbelief when we are entangled. And then notice we need to run with endurance. Back to chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. And we can talk about that all day, right? And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The term endurance means to remain under. It speaks of perseverance. It means enduring. And he says, let us run with endurance. You see, the point he makes in chapter 11, as we'll see here, is that faith produces endurance. So when I trust the Lord, I'm going to endure. So run with endurance. Run, as we will see, fixing your eyes on Jesus and trusting him. And you're going to endure, by the way. Run with endurance. Let us do. Set aside these things and let us run with endurance. Let us run in a way that is characterized by endurance. Now, how do we gain endurance? How do we gain that? How do we endure? Well, we need to know and recognize and believe the truth of Scripture and trust in the God of the truth. 
You see, the testing or the proving of our faith produces that endurance. I need to understand that when I'm tested, when my faith is being demonstrated. Romans chapter 5, turn there. Romans chapter 5, we've seen this in our Bible study. Romans 5. Speaking of Christ, verse 2, through whom we have received our induction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Marvelous. And we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Marvelous again, right? And not only this, but we exult in our tribulations knowing. Knowing. And you need to know it. See, when I believe God's word, that I'm going to endure, by the way. Knowing that tribulation brings about, and this is perseverance, means hupomone, it means, it means endurance. Tribulation brings about perseverance. You see, for the believer, what's really wonderful is when you trust Jesus in the context of difficulty, you will persevere because God is faithful. And so when you know that, that's an encouragement. It's an encouragement because tribulation brings about perseverance. When I trust Jesus, I'm going to persevere. And when I trust in the midst of tribulation, I'm going to persevere. We're going to see that brings about or it demonstrates it. James 1, 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith or the proving of your faith produces endurance. You see, when you trust Jesus and that faith is proven, you endure. When that faith is proven genuine, the result is endurance. It's about faith in Jesus, folks. The endurance comes on the backside. You will endure. So run with endurance, setting aside those obstacles to faith, confessing when we don't trust. When you trust Jesus, you will endure because Jesus is faithful. He's faithful. It's not up to you to endure. It's up to him, and he's faithful. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. And how many believers fail at this point when things get tough in the good fight of faith? Believers squeeze out from under the difficulties, pulling their eyes off Jesus, stop trusting him, and guess what? You don't endure. Remember Peter? Peter is asked to come out, walk in the water to Jesus, and he does. And then seeing the wind and the waves, he began to sink. He got his eyes off of Jesus, by the way. He began to sink. We're going to see we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Trust in him. Are there any areas where you are sinking in your trials you're not enduring? Turn to Jesus. Trust in him. Believe what he has said. Trust in him, and you are going to endure. It's going to be proven. Your faith will be proven when you trust Jesus. So how can we run the race that the Lord puts before us victoriously? Run the right race, recalling the testimony of previous victors. Run with faith, setting aside obstacles to trusting in Jesus and believing his word. Confess unbelief. Run, letting faith bring about its result, endurance. And then notice, as we finish this passage, we are to run with focus on Jesus alone. We are to consider him. We're to consider him and his work on the cross so that we would not grow weary and lose heart. Verse 1 again, chapter 12, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance, or also, excuse me, also lay aside every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter or finisher of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God.
Fix your eyes on Jesus, as we'll see. The beginning and the end of faith. The author and finisher. The one who made it to the end. The one in whom you trust, you will make it to the end too. The perfect example of trust and victory in the context of God's will and ways. He says here, notice, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He could have said the Lord. He could have said Christ. He says Jesus. Jesus is his human name. You see, God the Son took on human flesh. He became like us, born of a woman. He lived the perfect life. He understands the sin of this world, not from being a sinner, but from experiencing it in his own creation. He understands the difficulties. He understands temptation in humanity like we do. We see that he took on human flesh. He dwelt among us. He learned obedience from the things he suffered. He was a faithful high priest. He loved us and bore our sins in his body on the cross. And he died for us and rose from the dead, bringing once for all forgiveness. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The term Jesus means the Lord is salvation. The Lord, the great I am, is the one who saves. And you shall name him Jesus, the angel told, told uh, uh, Joseph, for he shall save his people from their sins. Name him Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, our God who became like us, who lived the perfect life, who entrusted himself to the Father, who lived the life of faith perfectly from start to finish. Keep your eyes on him and you will endure to the end. Keep your eyes on him. Notice what he says, fixing our eyes. The term uh, comes from the Greek authorao. It literally means looking away from something to fix your eyes on something. And so often we don't look away from what we're focused on, right? We need to fix our eyes on Jesus to the exclusion of the other stuff. You got relational problems, get your eyes off of those and fix your eyes on Jesus. You got financial problems, get your eyes off of that, fix your eyes on Jesus. And maybe if it's a side of sin, obey, trust the Lord, right? Do the right thing, but fix your eyes on Jesus. You got problems? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes off of those problems. If you don't do that, you're going to sink. You're not going to run the race well. You're going to fail. Fixing our eyes on Jesus looking unto him with undivided attention. I'm going to look at him. What am I going to look at? What am I going to look at? What aspects should I fix my eyes concerning him? Well, throughout the word, we see that the word focuses on Jesus Christ. Jesus shared in Luke chapter 24 that these, the things that were written about him, things that were written about him, it is focused on him. I have no doubt of the intensity of the storms in your life, but I know one thing for sure. If you make a deliberate choice to turn away from them, if you have to confess sin, the things that are entangled, whatever it is, do that, and focus on Christ, you will endure. You will endure. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. Well, how do I do that? How do I do that? Notice he says, Jesus, and he explains something. The author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your eyes on the person of Jesus Christ and what he did. And what he did. We fix our eyes on him in the context of prayer through the teaching of the word of God, the complete revelation of him. We fix our eyes on Jesus through the truth 
What things do you hold on in your mind? What things do you run over and over again about in your mind? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Turn away from those things. We don't ignore them, but we see them through the right perspective as we fix our eyes on Jesus. Practical ways to fix our eyes on Jesus. What was the early church devoted to? The apostles teaching the breaking of bed fellowship and prayer. Show me someone that's not faithfully around the body of Christ. I will show you someone who's not fixed on Jesus, to be honest with you. You'll say, well, I love Jesus, but that will be manifest in the desire to serve him and be around his people. What wife uh, would believe a husband who proclaims his love? Trash can there. What wife would believe a husband who proclaims his love for her but never is around? It's not love, right? So then we are to fix our eyes. And I say, show me someone who's not hypocritically focused on the word but truly focused on the Lord through his word, prayer, and his people, and I'll show you someone fixing their eyes in Jesus. So what are we to fix our eyes? What does the author direct us to look at? Notice as we finish, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith. The term author, archagos, speaks of one who goes first on the path, hence a leader or, or a trailblazer, initiator. The term completer or perfecter comes from the word teleos. It speaks of finishers or someone who completes, brings something to a conclusion. He is the one who shows us the perfect a picture of faith from start to finish. You want to know what faith looks like? Look at Jesus. God in human flesh did not hold on to his prerogative of deity, but he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. He had all his own power at his avail, but he didn't use that. We have none of our own power at our avail. But we too, like Christ, when we see him as he is and we exemplify what he has done by trusting in him, we see that, that he is faithful and that we too will finish. He is the author and perfecter, finisher of faith. One pastor writes about this. He says, Jesus in his humanity has gone before us and kept the faith. He knows the need for it. He himself ran the race. He laid aside every weight, every tie, family and friends. He set his face against the popular sin of unbelief and daily lived in patient perseverance, trusting his Father to work out everything. He set the perfect example. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And notice what else he says. Notice what else he says. He says, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of glory. He had an eternal perspective that helped him in the context. He believed the truth. He, he walked by faith. Amazing thing. God in human flesh walked by faith. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He remained under the suffering of the shameful cross. He endured it. You see, Jesus, being fully God and fully man, went through the greatest trial any man could go through. Yes, people have been crucified, people died, but no one has ever left his exalted heavenly state, being God, to enter the sinful state of his creation, to lead the perfect holiness and sphere of God, to enter into the sinful sphere of man, yet without sin. 
to relinquish his divine prerogative and walk by obedient faith, doing the Father's will, to be put to death on a cross, to bear the sins of the world, the Holy Son of God bearing our sin on the cross. No one has suffered shamefully like this, but he remained under. He remained under. He trusted from start to finish. The example is we need to trust from start to finish, and the way we do so is by fixing our eyes on Jesus. And notice he talks about this, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy, again, this word exposed to view on public display. Well, what was that joy? Well, certainly bringing many sons to glory, salvation that would come through the work that he would do for the Father on our behalf, Hebrews 2.10. But it was also to be set back in his rightful place of glory. John 17.4, Jesus says, I have glorified thee on earth, have accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do, and now glorify me, thou together, me together with thyself, Father, with the glory with which I had before the world was. Hebrews 2.9-2.10, But we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering and death crowned with glory and honor. One last passage, Philippians 2.8. As in being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, this is what happened, because he did for the joy of therefore, also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The prize was clearly in focus, bringing many sons to glory and bringing glory to God through his work forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. The joy set before him. The prize was in focus. See, we need to get the prize in focus the prize of eternity with our Lord in the context of his glorious uh, truth that he has revealed for those who run the race with endurance, who fight the good fight of faith to the end. Yes, you're all, if you trust in Christ, you'll all be saved, but eternity is going to be much different for different people, by the way, based on those rewards for what you did in the body, if you trusted the Lord or not, for the joy set before. And how was it that Jesus, God in human flesh, endured to the end. We see in 1 Peter 2, and I don't have time to read it, but I'm going to share it with you. He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. That's our example. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at what he did. He trusted and to the end. And what happened through what he did brought about our salvation. For the joy set before him, he did it for us and for his glory. And when we trust the Lord, he brings about what he has planned for us for all eternity, for his glory, for his glory, forever and ever. And notice he completed the race victoriously and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our Savior made it. And how did he make it? By faith, enduring. You're going to make it too, by faith in Jesus Christ and enduring. We see that. He made it, and we are in him, and we will make it. It's very encouraging. Verse 3, and we're out of time, but let's just finish up. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, 
hey, he went through a living hell, right? To the point where they crucified him, right? Such hostility. Consider him. The term consider means to, to think carefully. Think logically about Jesus. Think carefully and logically about Jesus. He endured such hostility against himself. He endured. He made it to the end. And if you're in him, you're going to make it to the end. Consider Jesus, the author and perfecter. You're going to make it. Think carefully. When's the last time you thought carefully and logically about what Jesus went through on your behalf? Focus on that. Stop focusing on your troubles, on yourself. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider Jesus. And here's the reason why. So that you may not grow weary and lose heart. I guarantee if you're growing weary and losing heart, your faith is faltering in some aspect because you're not focused on Jesus Christ. May not grow weary and lose heart. The term grow weary means to have a sick soul, to have a soul that's sick. Losing heart speaks of uh, basically becoming faint, exhausted, giving up, being deeply discouraged. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him and what he went through and endured. Much worse than what you're going through, by the way. And he endured and you're in him. He's going to get you through. Consider Jesus. Consider him. So what advice do I have for you? Consider Jesus. Think about him clearly and logically. He endured such hostility by sinners against himself for the joy set before him, which is our salvation and his eternal glory. He's our example. Trust him. Look unto him. And we too will be victorious. So how do we run the race of this life victoriously? The spiritual race that the Lord has put us in? Just that. Run the right race. Look at and recall the victory of previous runners. Look at the scriptures. All over the place we see examples of those who trusted and endured to the end. Look at them. Set aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles, and run the race with endurance. Obey the Lord. Trust him. And then keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. So let me ask you today, are you in the race? Is your life consistent with someone who is running the race of faith? Maybe you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, and God is gracious, he loves you. Trust in him. Believe that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. He'll forgive you. You'll be forgiven. And he will start the process of making you like Jesus, which is eternally wonderful. And then you're on that race. Trust in Jesus. Focus on him. What about us believers? Are we running the race that's set before us? Are you in the race? Have you got sidetracked? Are you focused on something else? Does your daily life consist of that which is not what we just heard about for the last hour? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Turn away from those things. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Set aside every encumbrance. Confess the sin and run the race with endurance. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you so much for your word. It is so wonderfully encouraging. And Lord, we are so feeble and so uh, flawed, and yet you are so gracious to uh, want us to endure. And some today are in need of endurance. Lord, and they've heard your word, how they can endure. And I pray that we, as a body, would be those who fix our eyes on your son Jesus, who consider him, consider what he has done for us and the victory that he has brought. And Father, I pray that we would set aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles and run with endurance this race that you've set before us. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray.